0: Hi there, and welcome to the Empowering Women in Construction podcast. I'm Georgina Wilson, the founder and CEO of BUD. And according to GMB, one of the UK's largest trade unions, just one in eight construction workers are women. At that current rate, it would take almost 200 years to achieve gender equality. So we want to showcase some amazing stories from across the country and learn about what we can do to empower women and make the industry more inclusive. So sit back, relax and enjoy this week's episode of the Empowering Women in Construction podcast. Welcome to this podcast in empowering women in construction. I'm not going to go into too much detail about myself because this is all about you, Charlie. So would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about why you started the Girls Network and your journey so far?
1: Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. So I'm Charlie. I'm CEO and co-founder of the Girls Network and we are a mentoring charity for 14 to 19 year old girls from the least advantaged communities around the country so we uh, match them one-to-one with professional women and they act as a mentor and a role model for that girl over the course of a year with the aim of helping to build up confidence, to develop skills, open up opportunities and networks that perhaps the girls would otherwise not have access to. And all of that is really with the ambition of helping them to be ambitious for their futures and then for us to help realise those ambitions. Because it's one thing saying, you can do this, but it's another thing actually supporting someone to be able to realise those. So I founded the charity back in 2013 with my co-founder, Becca, and we were both teachers. Uh, we taught through Teach First. so. Um, for those of you that don't know, Teach First is a program that places people in more disadvantaged schools around the country, um, and the aim is to try and close the educational attainment gap. So we knew that we would be going into environments where the young people we were teaching may well face additional challenges. There would be young people that perhaps hadn't had breakfast before they came to school, maybe didn't have the right equipment, or maybe caring for younger siblings and having to get them to primary school before they got themselves to, to secondary school where we were teaching. So we sort of anticipated that that was going to be the case. And actually, the reality was we saw that very much in our classrooms. But fairly early on, we both also recognised what we've come to call the double disadvantage that the girls in our classroom faced. Um, That of the expectations that they and other people have about who they are, who they should be. So how should they look, how they should behave you could be pretty and neat and tidy and compliant and not make too much noise um the kinds of things that they should be aspiring to do you know there's more creative caring roles and and that was enforced by society by their peers by themselves that the belief they held because that's what they've been told and then coupled with that they were coming from communities that were generally very supportive but didn't always have people in them that had the knowledge about for example, how to navigate the university system, weren't necessarily doing the kinds of jobs that the girls might aspire to do. So we know that in lower income communities, and amongst women particularly, generally, their lower status, lower paid jobs they're um, undertaking. We talk about the five Cs, um, so cleaning, uh, catering, clerking, caring, and cashiering, which I often feel someone's really worked hard at to make into seats. But the point being, these are really, really important and valuable jobs but it's limited and they typically are lower status They were paid and so if these girls all they can see to themselves is that then they're really limiting themselves from other opportunities that they might be passionate about and might want to do but they can see no one like them doing it and therefore that the result in the classroom was they didn't believe they could do it or they should do it so even where they held, held those ambitions I remember speaking to couple of 15 year olds and one wanted to be an architect and one wanted to be a criminal psychologist and they really found those areas fascinating they really genuinely wanted to do it but they hadn't even allowed themselves to think about how they might make that a reality because they just saw so many real and perceived obstacles that actually the students was oh I miss I won't really do that I'll do my GCSEs I'll get a part-time job I'll start a family and it was Not something they were saying because they wanted to do it. It was this kind of, well, that's what I have to do because of who I am and where I'm from. And so it was really this sense of injustice we felt, this sense of that's not fair. Like, we've got to know you. You are fantastic young women, and you have this potential and this dream, and yet you don't believe you get to do it, and that's not okay. Um, So initially, we invited women we knew from previous jobs uh, from university in just for the girls to meet women that they could relate to, that were doing lots of different things, broadening their ideas about what was possible. Um, and we had a speed net for a couple of hours, and it was just amazing because... The girls were having conversations with women that they could relate to. And it just started to change the way they thought. There was this link between where they were and where these women were. And it gave them a sense of possibility. Oh, maybe I could do this. And it was a simple thing. But we just thought, actually, if you can do that much in just a couple of hours, what more could you do if you channeled all of the energy and enthusiasm and experience from the women that came along two girls like these who would benefit most from it. Um, And so that's really, I suppose, where the seed of the idea came from. Um, I'd come from a... I was at an all-girls school. um, And so, you know, I'd had various opportunities. My mum's a teacher. My dad's a minister. They had some connections. I'd had some inspiration about things I could do. But even for me, I studied sciences at sixth form. And I thought, if I don't want to be a doctor, there's no path for me. And I actually... think about that now and think I probably would have loved to be an engineer did anyone suggest to me that as a girl I could be an engineer no um so I think you know I recognize that for myself and then seeing exacerbating the girls we were working with it just became so evident this was something that we needed to do something about.
0: Wow I think that's (laughs) that's an amazing um story and it really resonates with me because one of the things even in in our organization is it's that It's not that the dreams aren't necessarily there, it's the how you know, they, they get there and it's the confidence, um, to even believe that it's possible. So I love that that is the journey that, you know, that you've been on and that you've seen, um, but also that you're actually filling in that gap and, and making those things possible, which is really, really incredible. And I love that kind of idea around, okay, that, that double disadvantage. And, you know, it's not just that around the education, but it's around the belief, it's around the confidence, it's around seeing others like them in those spaces um and and how do we move from those five c's into things like construction and it'd be great to to learn a little bit more charlie about you know what your thoughts are around you know this podcast around empowering women in construction and what you think some of those disadvantages are um, around women even believing or accessing and, and what are the you know what's the girls network doing Yes, um,
1: lots of questions in there, um, but, but great ones. I think to your point around sort of aspirations and it, it not just it not being about the fact they aren't, they aren't actually there, I think that's a really important one. Um, we, as we were setting up the charity, we were doing a lot of research around what the issues were and where the challenges were. Um, we worked with um, Professor Becky Francis, who was one of our first trustees and is an expert in this area. And she would tell us, you know, tell us, time and time again, there's so much research around this, and girls do have aspirations. And it's not fair to say that they don't. It's not about that. It's about not believing they can do it. And I think some of the challenges, you know, as we've spoken about role models, um, networks, connections, as well as the confidence you can do it. And I think that's true for these girls. I think it's true in accessing careers where we have underrepresentation of women, for example, construction. Um, Actually, if you can't see women succeeding in those different roles it's hard to picture yourself doing it it's also hard to get sort of advice and support sometimes and that's not to say that if you're not a woman you can't be supportive but you don't necessarily have the same shared lived experience and i think that can be a barrier even if not an explicit or conscious one um so i I think that that's a real challenge um for us you know doing some some research into what made the difference the key things that impacted the girls expectations about what it was that they could go on to do were well, one-on-one conversations with professionals mentoring relationships and experiences within the workplace and i've always understood that as things that Require you to engage on an emotional level, and therefore cause you to change the way you, you see things. It's that you know you have a conversation, you engage you're in a physical space, and it creates a reaction within you, be it positive or negative. But that that shapes the way you think about it. And then, as as you said, you know the challenge there was also, well, you decide you want to do something, great. How do you get into it? Where are the networks? Where are the communities? Where are the people that can? even simply tell you what it's like and help you understand it more but then be there as you go on that journey to access it to to apply for things and point out highlight where those opportunities are um, and what you might want to be looking at it can be a really big and daunting world i think if you don't know where to start um and as i say i think these are true for the girls we were working with but it's i think also true for anyone trying to access a career where they don't know anybody in it or they see nobody like them doing that. I think it can be a real uphill battle. That's not to say it's impossible, but I think there's lots that can be done. For example, mentoring, for example, um, work experience opportunities, internships, work insight days, um, where you actually get an insight into what that looks like.
0: Brilliant. And and have in terms of your experience in the Girls Network and all of the great work that you do, have you um, had an opportunity to sort of connect girls with those that are working in the construction industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we have amazing partners um, working in the construction industry um, that will mentor the girls we're working with, so spend time talking to them about their work and their life and the job they do but also talking to the girls about their experience and their the the things that they want to do the challenges they're facing um but then also open up opportunities work experience workshops for the girls to really get a tangible feel as to um what that looks like um and it might be the girls go in and decide okay this isn't for me but for many of them they'll go in and go I hadn't even considered that a job in construction could be for me. I didn't understand what it meant. I didn't understand the fact that you might be on a site, but you also might be working in an office um, doing HR or planning partnerships or, or doing something strategic. There was so much to it. Um, so I think that's a really powerful way that um, partnering with organisations can help to open up that sort of broad world to the girls we're working with.
0: Fantastic, and, and are there any sort of like real life case studies that, um, you know, particular organisations um, that you've worked with um have really impacted on on any of the girls that have been connected to them?
1: Um, yeah. So I think um, you know, you know, we have a, a great partnership with Sigma. Um, and that's that's been fantastic, um, and we've seen some some great relationships developing there. Um, we also have um, relationships with um, I can think of a, a great um, chemical engineering company up in the northwest, um, we've been working with. And um, one of our girls went in for a week of work experience. Um, was so inspired. She went off and then um, studied engineering, and then came back and has been given a job with them. Um, and that is such a success to see that that loop through. Um, you know, we're really hopeful that we can do more of that. Um, you know, for some of the companies and organisations we work with, they really, really want to um, employ more young women and employ a more diverse workforce. And often the challenge is we don't know where to find them um and we don't necessarily know how to support them so for us to be able to be the broker and say well actually here are thousands of incredible young women and some of them might want to work for you so this is a way of making that connection and and on both sides you sussing out and seeing what might work so yeah that for me is a really exciting opportunity
0: if you could give like a tip to um, like a, an organisation that is really focused on you know construction in the construction industry around how to make their um, their roles a bit more accessible for young women that are coming up, what what would you say? And I'm sorry, this is just an, a question of just thought. Of, so yeah, go for it.
1: No, it's absolutely fine. I think there are probably lots of things that could be done and probably lots of things that ought to be done. I think um, you need to look at uh, initially the internal environment and probably speak to women that are already in your organisation. What is their experience? What were the barriers for them? Um, And sort of understand that a bit more from an internal point of view um, because once you have those young women in the organisation, you want to keep them there and you want it to be a positive experience. So I think actually understanding what that's like before you even... get them in is probably helpful um in terms of attracting young women um, there's work to do around the language you use in your job descriptions um, there's lots of research on this and i will do a, probably a terrible job of relaying the kinds of themes but there's certain language that actually is much more um perhaps technical and that is not to say that women aren't equally technical as men but it's shown that some of that language can sometimes put women off the job and um when you use something essential or preferable, um, again, there's research showing that men will look at a job description, and if they can do 50% of it, they'll apply, whereas a woman waits until she can do pretty much 100% before applying. I think there are ways of, of designing a job description that um, sort of helps you to get around that, making it clear that you're open to different types of, of experience. Um, there are other things around flexible working. It's been shown that if you talk about the flexible working opportunities you have and are clear about what that looks like, and that's an important part of that research, then actually you are more likely to attract um, a more diverse pool of candidates to that job. So it's some really practical things like that. Um, but then I think it is also about outreach. How do you showcase the incredible opportunities? That you have in your organisation and how do you showcase a diverse range of role models at different levels working within your organisation? Um, because if it's not visible, a young person isn't going to be able to look at it and go, ah, I could do that, that could be me. Um, so I think all of those things are really important in thinking about how do you, in general, increase your diversity of, of, of um, talent coming into the organisation, but yes, particularly amongst young women.
0: Yeah, that is brilliant you know if that's just you kind of on the spot thinking about those things (laughs) but i think there's so much validity in in everything that you've just mentioned in terms of making accessible um but also you know how are you actually advertising what's the language that you're using and also you know what's on your comms when you're sending it out is it all just you know the stereotypical thing that, that of construction or Does it show that there's, you know, diversity? Again, just going back to what we mentioned previously around, you know, are there people that look like me there? And therefore, do I have the opportunity to be part of that? So, so. like, what images are you putting on it? Like,
1: what what does your website look like? Because probably the minute someone sees it, they're going to go onto your website. And if your website is full of white men and your staff, you know, that's going to send an immediate message, whatever the text says.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent agree. So yeah, really, really good tips. And let's look on kind of the other side. What would you um say to aspiring young women that are that have maybe thought about getting into the construction industry and have some of those barriers that we'd mentioned previously? What what sort of tips would you give them?
1: Another good question. Um I think I would reach out to some organizations. I'd do a bit of research and see see who's out there, um, and find those, you know, read the websites, find organizations that are talking about diversity, inclusion, um, and get in touch. Um, I would hope that you'd get a a positive reception. Um, I think it can be a scary thing reaching out. Um, Obviously, if you're fortunate enough to have a mentor or somebody trusted, they can support you with that. But I think even if you don't, taking that step to say, do you know what, there's an email address here, I'm just going to send an email and say, I think I might be interested in construction. Could you tell me more about it? Or do you offer work experience? Or is there somebody that I can speak to on the phone? The worst thing they're going to do is either say no or ignore you. And then you've lost nothing. But they may well get back to you and offer you something. And even if it isn't exactly what you wanted, that could be that first step. That could be that first door opened and who knows where that might lead. Um, So I think just putting yourself out there and finding out and you're not committing to anything. You could do that. Have a conversation, go, "Uh, no, it's not for me. Fine. You've learned something about yourself and you've also developed a skill in reaching out. But I think, yeah, get in touch, speak to people, find people that can tell you more about it um, and help you on, on that way, on that journey
0: absolutely love it yeah one of my mottos is if you don't ask you don't get and the worst that can happen is that you're in exactly the same place but if you get a yes how incredible could that be so that's fantastic really really good advice for some of our young women um and finally where do you see the girls network in let's be really ambitious and say in 10 years
1: (laughs) 10 years time goodness um i mean i think as every charity leader would say not needing to exist would be great but um I think you know the reality of the world is these are complex problems and it's unlikely that we will work ourselves out of existence in that time frame um on on a more serious note I think for me some of it's about growth of reach so we work with at the moment about 1400 girls a year which is a big number of girls and I know we're having amazing impact but there are currently around 163,000 14 to 19 year old girls in England eligible for free school meals um which if we take that as our broad demographic that's a lot of young women that will disproportionately benefit from this kind of mentoring and support so you know working with not even 1% of that number at the moment i really want us to see growth there i want to grow our impact and our reach be that through mentoring but also through the visibility of the work that we're doing um, showcasing the stories of the girls that come up through our program and also of the, the women of our mentors so that even if a girl is not part of the mentoring program she knows somebody that is or she can access the resources and she can still be inspired and see the opportunities that are available to her so for me that's one really big part the other really big part for me is thinking about how do we um act as a platform for the voices and experiences of the girls and young women that we work with. Um, So they have amazing stories, amazing views, amazing experiences that will help um, not just us, but leaders across sectors um, and in society make better decisions, design things in a better, more equitable way. So how do we make sure that their voices are heard? And some of that is platforming. But we've also recently piloted our girl-led mentoring program where we have partnered um, some of our girls that have been through the program with senior leaders. We partnered it with the Metropolitan Police and so they were matched with three senior women in the force. Um, And the senior women were mentored by our girls and they learned from their experiences and their insight. And that was hugely impactful over six weeks, sorry, six months. Um, and something we're looking to roll out more because actually if we can get our girls speaking to those people in positions of power and influencing those with the levers of power to bring about change we can disrupt disrupt that flow of power that's a really exciting thing in terms of how we shape not just the lives of those girls but the wider world and society that they're going into so in 10 years time i hope that every senior leader has a girl mentor helping them to make great decisions
0: Wow. That's really ambitious, but why not? Why not? Um, I think that's brilliant. There's so that, you know, the work that you're doing is fantastic and there's so many layers to it. And I love that word disruption because it's like, this is where the real change happens. And it's, it is really important for us even as an organization to think about how we do that. And it's great that, you know, we, we're part of that process. And it's, it's fantastic to hear, um, about that vision but also about what you're doing right now and how present you are in actually making those changes right now so it's been an absolute pleasure charlie to to find out more about what you're doing but also to hear about um you know those tips for those that are working construction and those young ladies that want to aspire um to work in there and yeah it's it's really inspirational you've inspired me today so i really appreciate um your time and and also just um the energy but also those tips and those really kind of key elements about what's important and how we can start to think about bringing those changes so yeah thank you thank you for having me it's been great fantastic okay Thanks so much for listening and we really hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of the Empowering Women in Construction podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by BUD with a focus on our signature offer, ROC, The Model of Inclusive Leadership. So get involved if you want to think about how you can use outside-the-box approaches and tools to build better cultures and more inclusive leadership within your organisation, which ultimately leads to job satisfaction, staff retention and productivity. Get in touch and find out more at budleaders.org.